Good afternoon, and welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Scott Greeson, Conservation Director with Friends of the Eel River. The Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU, brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, the Eco News. Don't forget, you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives page at khsu.org. My guest today is Chris Schutz. Chris is the FERC Project Director and Water Rights Advocate for the California Sport Fishing Protection Alliance. He's been working on hydropower and water rights issues in California since 2006. And he's honestly, folks, one of the people I go to when I want to understand what's going on with obscure federal processes or big, weird water stuff. Chris, it's a real honor to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. So, Chris, the thing that prompted me to ask you to come on the show is an executive order that, well, I hate to say it, but President Trump signed a couple of weeks ago that purports to really change a bunch of big federal policies around water in California. But it got me thinking about a lot of other federal actions that have come down in the last year that have some really significant consequences for California's rivers and fish. And I guess just to flag for people where this show is going today, I want to talk to you about your report from the relicensing of the Dom Pedro Dam and some very alarming news there about how federal agencies are you know, protecting fish or failing to do so. So why don't we just start with a sort of a quick overview, a, a, a take on that executive order and what, what was going on with that from your perspective? Well, I think a lot of it really has to do with the election as much as anything. There's a number of Republican congressmen in the Central Valley who, for various reasons, are having some some election challenges. And President Trump was there to, in part, bolster them. And one of the things that always that, that these folks always turn to is water issues. There are a lot of farms, obviously, in the San Joaquin Valley, and people who promise to either increase the amount of water available to those farms or maintain the amount of water available to those farms often get a positive reception, at least among certain parts of the community. So President Trump made the announcement together with several congressmen running for re-election, obviously. So I think part of it has to be seen in that context. Yeah. In the broader, in the broader context, though, there is some seriousness to it, not so much in the exact measures that this particular order requires, but in the fact that it's part of a pattern of bending federal agencies that are in part designed to provide environmental protection to have policies and to carry out those policies in ways that are more favorable to water supply interests. Yeah. And maybe we should sort of pull back the focus on this a second and note that this is a, a pattern in politics and in, in economics and environmental policy that runs back for many decades in California. And it, it comes down to the fundamental reality that there is a great deal more arable farmland in the Central Valley than there is water available to grow crops on that land. So there's always land that but for water 
could produce a profit. And so there's a huge demand for water in excess of you know what's available in our, our natural watersheds and what comes from the sky. And there's also a lot of land that's under cultivation that really doesn't have a reliable water supply. Right. And, and water was promised to various folks for various reasons without taking into account what the effects would be on rivers, on the Bay Delta estuary, and so forth. And as those effects have become more evident over the last 20 or 30 years, and new regulations have been put in place in order to sort of dial back some of the problems that, that over-delivery of water has created, the folks who had a not-that-reliable supply of water have found the, the, the supply even less reliable. Right. And so we're, we're trying to sort of ameliorate, mitigate the impacts of decisions we made in the 50s and 60s with environmental rules in the 90s through the aughts and teens that now it feels like the party in power, the Republicans, have really decided they want to just roll back and move back to a situation where water is to be used for agriculture and anything that flows to the Pacific is a waste. That's what it feels like to me. I don't know if that's actually where they intend to go. But that's that's what well, the language is telling me. Sure, I was going to say that that it's it's both municipal and industrial water supply as well as agricultural. Although it's, it's an important a lot point. of the water is used for agriculture. Right, and so one of the wrinkles in the story of Don Pedro that we're going to hopefully get to in a second here is that the city of San Francisco actually joined forces with ag interests in the Central Valley, which was kind of unexpected, I guess, from my perspective. But as you point out, there there are municipal and, and, and industrial needs that are also in there in the mix with agriculture. Well, why don't we talk about Don Pedro a little bit, and then we can talk about the other policy measures that, that are really in play here. Um, let's start by just letting people know that when we're talking about relicensing of, of hydropower projects, what we're talking about is a process before the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, which issues 30 to 50 year licenses for all major dams that produce hydropower in the United States. And you've been involved in these processes for decades now. And this, what you've seen at the Don Pedro relicensing is really quite extraordinary, I think. It is very extraordinary. So to provide just a little more general context, a lot of the major water supply projects in California that aren't owned by the federal government also generate electric power because the dams that they have allow a drop of water in other words, uh, water to fall through power housing as it comes out of the dam. And hydropower is not usually the main purpose that these dams exist, but it's one of the ways that the owners of the dams finance them. Right. And by generating power, they then are able to deliver water supply for agriculture or for municipal uses at less cost. And most of them, therefore, because they're not owned by the federal government, they have to get a license from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And it's funny, even though most of the purpose is for water supply, in many cases, the stream flows that come out of those rivers are governed by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And and so one of the main things that's at stake whenever you relicense a project is is the stream flows below a dam. 
So just as a side note, that's exactly the situation we have in the Potter Valley project on the Eel River, two dams on the upper main stem eel that are licensed by FERC for hydroelectric production, but produce an essentially inconsequential amount of electricity, so little that it really doesn't matter. But the project functions as a water supply project for growers in the in Potter Valley. That's exactly right. Nonetheless, it's before FERC that a lot of the decisions get made. Right. So given that, we have a process going on that's been going on since about 2011 to relicense the Don Pedro hydroelectric project on the Tuolumne River. Don Pedro is a big reservoir that's basically east of Modesto. And you probably drive across it if you're going to Yosemite to the northern route. It's a big one. And the required amount of flow that's being released from that reservoir is about somewhere between 10 and 15 percent of the average annual flow in the watershed. So it's a pretty small amount of water. And many of us identified the need to release more water downstream into the lower Tuolumne River, then into the San Joaquin River and into the Delta. There are salmon in the Tuolumne River. Once upon a time, not that long ago, in the 40s, there were as many as 70,000. Wow. But but today, we're often at less than 1,000 fish. 2,000 has kind of been average over the, the 10 years that I've been paying attention, and it's really a problem. So a depressed population that's at real risk of extinction at this point, just from a, the size of the population. It is, and, and a lot of the fish that come there actually are strays from hatcheries and from other rivers. There's not really anymore a distinct Tuolumne River population of salmon. That's not uncommon in the Central Valley, particularly in rivers where the the, the returns are very low. Right. Pretty tragic, though. Yeah. So what, what were we going to do about it? Well, so we proposed in the relicensing a number of conservation groups and some of the federal and state fisheries and other agencies have proposed to increase the flows in the lower Tuolumne River and also do a bunch of work in the stream channel by filling in a bunch of holes that were dug out for gravel and actually gold mining in the past with big dredges. It's a pretty degraded stream channel in many respects, and so there needs to be some work to to remediate that as well. And that's a fairly conventional recipe for fisheries restoration is let's do Let's provide more water, not take all of it, but leave some for the fish, and do some restoration in the an otherwise degraded stream channel. That's pretty common, and we see that in many of the rivers in the valley and elsewhere. Yeah. So when we went into relicensing and, and we went into the, the period in the relicensing process where everybody comes and says, all right, here's what we think you should do, it's called the Ready for Environmental Analysis Notice. And we all respond to that and become formal parties to the proceeding at that time and put forward, if, if we're conservation groups, we put forward recommendations. And fish agencies and other agencies like the Bureau of Land Management actually are able to provide conditions under the Federal Power Act. So everyone went and did that at the end of January of this year, 2018. And, and short, shortly thereafter, the, the irrigation districts, Turlock and Modesto, that own the project, and the city of San Francisco that has an interest in storing some of the water in Don Pedro Reservoir and helps to build it for that purpose, 
started putting some pressure on the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in particular. It's a federal fish agency that has a long history in the San Joaquin Valley and has done a lot of restoration projects, but also has done a lot of advocacy for increasing flows and other conditions. And over the course of the spring and the summer, the irrigation districts went to a number of legislators, directly lobbied with senior officials in the, in the Department of the Interior, under which the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is housed, and persuaded um, senior officials there, including the Secretary of the Interior, that there needed to be a readjustment of the flow requirements and other conditions that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had put forward. This culminated in a letter in October in which the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service basically retracted its previous flow recommendations and said they were going to go along with the flows that the district had proposed. If you're just tuning in, this is the Eco News Report. I'm Scott Greeson, Conservation Director with Friends of the Eel River, and I'm talking today with Chris Schutz the FERC Project's Director and Water Rights Coordinator with the California Sport Fishing Protection Alliance. So the Fish and Wildlife Service is recommending what's necessary to protect these public trust resources in the Tuolumne, and basically you're describing a situation in which the affected interests have basically gone over the heads of the Fish and Wildlife Service to their political bosses and said, you know, essentially, think another time. You know, you sure you really believe that? And, and Fish and Wildlife Service seems to have blinked. They not only blinked, they ducked. And so the dynamic you described is basically correct. Senior officials in the Department of the Interior overrid the position of local staff Local staff had an extensive series of recommendations based on what they said was the best available science. And in the letter that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service wrote on October 1st to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, U.S. Fish and Wildlife said, well, for policy reasons, we've decided to change our mind. So the agency that's required to determine based on best available science what the river needs basically is telling the, the FERC that that's not what they're doing anymore, that policy is overriding science. And it is chilling. It, it, U.S. Fish and Wildlife is one of the main players in every relicensing that I've been involved in. And if, if it becomes a simple matter of politics and, and the perceived interests of the party in power as opposed to what is necessary in any given place according to the view of the, the fisheries agency with federal responsibility, that's going to change the dynamic in relicensing, and it's going to change, it has changed the dynamic in this one. Yeah. So you described, Chris, a, a dynamic in which, you know, the the parties who want basically more storage in Don Pedro, who don't want to see more water released into the river for fisheries benefits, are going to senior officials in the Department of the Interior, up to and including the Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke. But there's reason to believe that some of the key decision makers at the Department of the Interior were already pretty receptive to these messages. I'm particularly concerned about a fellow named David Bernhardt, who's long been the attorney for the Westlands Water District and now seems to have a key role 
and making decisions for the federal government that affect his former clients. What was his role in this? We don't know exactly, but he does seem to be determining a lot of Western water policy. Now, it's important to note that it's not exactly the farmers that he represents that are affected by the Don Pedro Project. The Don Pedro Project is what we call East Side Farmers. They get water from the tributaries that come down off the Sierras. Mr. Bernhardt was previously working for West Side Farmers who get water that's exported out of the Delta and that's delivered, in this case, to the Delta-Mendota Canal. So it's not exactly like he, he left his previous job and then overrid what happened before, but it's, it's in the same general area and the same general county and in the same county in many cases. And, and uh, broadly similar issues, certainly. In the broad sense, they're very similar issues. It's how do you balance fisheries protection with water supply. Yeah. And the point being that we have now in power a, a bunch of folks who already know the answers to these questions, that, that know the answers they'd prefer to have to these questions. I want to turn back to the executive order we started off talking about, because one of the pieces of that order that really gave me some heartburn on my first couple of times reading it was a piece in Section 5 that talks about consideration of locally developed plans and hydroelectric projects licensing. I um, mean, this makes... It doesn't mean anything legally to me, but the the verbiage says the agencies shall give appropriate consideration to any relevant information available to them in locally developed plans. I looked at that and thought, oh, God, you know, they're writing this stuff for the Potter Valley Project? How do they do that? But you have a different take. I do, kind of. One of the things that happens in, in part of in these in these in the, in the relicensing process is that FERC requires studies and and the licensees are the ones who propose them, they get approved after comment and after other entities propose other studies as well. And and the licensees hire consultants to carry them out. In in the case of the Don Pedro project, they sort of decided they were going to in my view, sort of try to contest science that is more generally accepted about the importance, the relative importance of different life stages of salmon and the importance of high flows and and try to develop a basis for suggesting that the amount of flows needed was less than what might otherwise be necessary and what that other people have said would be necessary based on previous studies and sets of studies. And so the way that, that the district and the city of San Francisco have framed this is that this is site-specific, whereas other studies are more general. They come from broader parts of California they use temperature requirements that were developed in other parts of the country, those kinds of things. And so a lot of the source, I believe, of the part of the presidential memo that talks about 
locally developed information, uh, locally developed plans is what it says, really has to do with the fact that the districts and and many of the of the license of the of the licensees, the entities that get licenses from FERC, would like to have their own studies used in preference to other studies that show different conclusions. Some of those other studies are quite specific to the Tuolumne. Some are a lot of the studies are specific to the Stanislaw River, the river to the north, because they've had a lot of opportunity to study there. A lot of them have to do more generally with the the Central Valley as a whole. And and what this really is about is the outcome and the conclusions. But it's it's all framed as well, yours isn't site specific, and and yours is more general. And so that's really a lot of what's happening here. Right. So 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 we've got this rhetoric of local control along with the rhetoric right. of easing regulatory burdens. But what it's really about is is particular outcomes. That makes sense. That's my opinion. And and one of the things that happens with something like this is it's it's worded with one thing in mind, but then something else will come along and it becomes policy for that. So right. while I don't believe that Potter Valley had anything to do with this, it's very likely that people will look at this and may even point to it and say, well, gee, we should look at locally developed plans. And so if someone develops a, a plan for how that project is going to be operated in the future, they may try to bring to bear this policy statement in order to defend their position. Yeah, and as you know, the Potter Valley Irrigation District, the Rus- Upper Russian River Flood Control District, the city of Ukiah, and the county of Mendocino have all joined forces to try to buy the Potter Valley project from Pacific Gas and Electric and, and keep the dams in place. And I'm I, I'm thinking they're going to cast that plan in exactly these terms. So, thanks, Trump. So, Chris, to the extent we agree, and I think it sounds like you do, with Congressman Jared Huffman and the environmental attorneys at the Natural Resources Defense Council, that the executive order on Western Water is is really a, an election season stunt. What are the measures that we should be paying close attention to? What are the real threats if this is just a distraction? Well, I'm not sure it's just a distraction. I I think that a lot of the things in here don't carry a lot of actual force. Mm-hmm. But I think in general we can expect that there will be further efforts to weaken environmental protection. Right. And the Endangered Species Act is certainly going to be one of the most important ones that people that the the current administration is going to look to weaken. Yeah. And and I think that's definitely a problem. Intervention in the ongoing update of the Bay Delta plan by the state water board in Sacramento and and trying to somehow override the decisions of the state government agency by using federal authority, I think that's something else, too, that we should be very concerned about. Yeah. So just to point out that these various moving pieces do all connect to one another. You know, one of the right-wing, big-ag-aligned, pro-water development 
Republican legislators you talked about at the beginning of the show who are benefiting from this executive order is Devin Nunes, who, of course, has been one of the leading advocates of the idea of dismantling the Endangered Species Act and, and getting it out of the way so that more water can be pumped. Yes, I would just point out that you used those terms to describe Congressman Nunes. I didn't. I don't necessarily disagree with him, but just want to mention that. Point taken. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, you know, Congressman Nunes, Congressman Valadeo, Congressman Denham, Congressman McCarthy, they're all yep. San Joaquin Valley legislators who have a big interest in maintaining water supply, and that's been one of the main things that supported them. Even Congressman Jim Costa, who's a Democrat, often votes with these congressmen on water issues. And so it's not completely a Democrat or Republican kind of issue. It's, it's also a local issue. Right. And it's very hard sometimes to get folks that you'd like to have having a more nuanced position to actually take that position. Right. Well, maybe in the future we'll be talking about the the search for bipartisan water solutions in the Central Valley, but it doesn't seem like we're quite there yet, or maybe we're not well, there Well, unfortunately, again. the bipartisan search right now would tend to go be weighted toward water supply right. and not toward environmental protection. Right, which is part of the sort of the, the, that's the nature of the problem we're facing right now, yeah. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I really think that it's important to maintain the integrity of the regulatory process. And even though sometimes we, environmental groups, although with much less clout and with much less likelihood of success, try to persuade legislators or regulatory agency staff to look at things a certain way, I think it's really important that the process operate according to the law and and that the rules be respected. One of the things that we see happening a lot in this day and age is that people try to either gain exceptions to the rules or simply change the rules. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, those rules were put in place for good reason. And if anything, they're not successful enough in protecting the fisheries and the other environmental values that we care about. Right. And so I, I, I would just close by saying it's important to defend the authority of the regulators, even if they don't always make the decisions we'd like, and even if things don't always go our way. It's, it's really important that they be allowed to act independently according to their analysis and and the findings that they actually make based on actual conditions and not according to politics, which has infected a lot of my world and I don't think is going to get a lot better at least over the next couple of years. Very well said, and thanks again for joining us, Chris. Chris Schutz, California Sport Fishing Protection Alliance. Very good. Thank thanks you. for your time. Uh, appreciate it. Can edit that down. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. Okay. Bye. Thanks for schooling me. This has been the Eco News Report. My name's Scott Greeson. I've been your host for the past half hour. I've been speaking with Chris Schutz with the California Sport Fishing Protection Alliance. That's a CSPA. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 
1-800-227-6089. You can hear this broadcast again on the archive programs page of the station's website at khsu.org. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Tune in again next week at the same time for the Eco News Report.